welcome to the PSNP, Pearls of Pediatric Evidence-Based Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Becky Carson, pediatric nurse practitioner and assistant professor at the Catholic University of America. This is the second episode in a series on health equity in pediatrics, generously sponsored by the Dr. Rashida Monroe Health Equity Grant, funded by the North Carolina chapter of the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners. The purpose of this series is to bring awareness to the majority of pediatric nurse practitioners who, like me, are white, cisgendered females, caring for children from diverse communities that we don't necessarily represent in our identities and experiences so that we can better understand their barriers to health. Then I'll equip you with some best practices to create a safe space to provide compassionate care. Don't worry, health equity isn't too big to fix. Each episode will share best practices that are individual and will actually make a difference at the point of care delivery, meaning that you can implement them today to help your patients experience equitable care at the bedside. All it takes is the understanding of their importance and the readiness to incorporate them into your practice habits. Last week, we discussed our first two best practices. First, approach every patient with a lens of health equity and then become a partner in the equity care plan, not just an authority in healthcare. But I also need your help so we can better understand how podcasts impact your practice, either in a tangible front lines bedside kind of way, or even just to get you mentally ready to change your practice when the opportunity arises. So I'm asking listeners to complete an anonymous one-minute survey for every episode they listen to in order to better understand the impact of listening to a short podcast on health equity. Thanks in advance for completing a survey for this and every episode in the series, because the data you provide will help us understand the educational impact of podcasts. What's in it for you? At the end of each anonymous survey, you'll be given a link to my website's health equity page, where you can enter your email to enter a raffle and win a $15 Amazon gift card. If you listen to multiple episodes, you're welcome to submit your email multiple times. There will be one prize for each episode and winners will be chosen at random and notified via email one week after the release of the episode. The prizes in this raffle are supported by the Rashida Monroe Health Equity Grant. I'll mention the anonymous survey again at the conclusion of the episode. Now let's dig into our next topic. Implicit bias. In last week's discussion on health equity in kids, we touched on the idea that implicit bias is the unconscious attitudes and beliefs you have about people who are different from you. You never say them explicitly, but they exist surreptitiously to impact your interactions, behaviors, and even clinical judgment. Why does that matter? Because there is a significant inverse relationship with implicit bias and the quality of healthcare. Let's say that a different way. The more implicit bias a provider has, the less evidence-based care they provide, which can affect patient outcomes. We all hope that we don't have bias, but it's probably not true because remember that implicit bias is unconscious and healthcare providers demonstrate the same proportion of implicit bias as the rest of the population. Identifying implicit bias in yourself is incredibly difficult because you're not aware of these beliefs and they may even be contrary to how you say you feel about a person or a group. But you have to assume that we all have them because of the influences that exist in our culture and society. 
as well as the policies that exist in our organizations that prove their existence. Let's look at an example from the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission taken directly from their website. You can read this and other scenarios in the link in the show notes. Harvinder, a Sikh who works in a hospital, wears a small four-inch dull and sheathed kirpan. A kirpan is a symbolic miniature sword. It's strapped and hidden underneath her clothing as a symbol of her religious commitment to defend truth and moral values. When Harvinder's supervisor, Bill, learned about her kirpan from a coworker, he instructed Harvinder not to wear it at work because it violated the hospital policy against weapons in the workplace. Harvinder explained to Bill that her faith requires her to wear a kirpan in order to comply with the Sikh code of conduct and gave him literature explaining that the kirpan is a religious artifact, not a weapon. She also showed him the kirpan, allowing him to see that it was no sharper than the butter knives found in the hospital cafeteria. Nevertheless, Bill told her that her employment at the hospital would be terminated if she continued to wear the kirpan at work. Thankfully, Harvinder is supported by U.S. law that prohibits religious discrimination, but her boss, Bill, seems to show bias because he tried to apply a policy prohibiting weapons to a person's religious dress. And that brings us to our best practice number three, identify your implicit biases. When you increase your awareness of the unconscious stereotypes and attitudes you hold, you can limit their impact on your care. Let's say that in a different way. Maybe we can't change the way we unconsciously think, but we can stop the behaviors that result from those opinions from having negative outcomes for patients. One way to uncover your bias is to take implicit association tests offered by Harvard's Project Implicit. These implicit association tests use a computer program to measure your automatic reactions and associations with groups of people, and therefore a connection to a group and suspected implicit beliefs. While there are certainly limitations in this project, the tests have good internal consistency and test-retest reliability. And it may be the first exercise to simply get you thinking about whether you act differently towards other groups. I took a few tests and I found myself reflecting on the results. What are my behaviors towards people different from me that I encounter in my everyday life? And what can I do to limit inequity in my interactions with them? Go ahead, try it for yourself. Just go to projectimplicit.net and click take a test. Take a few. I'll wait here while you take the time to learn about how your unconscious preferences play out in your actions. Now that you've looked for implicit bias using the implicit association test, you may be confused about how implicit bias manifests from unconscious beliefs in your computer reaction time to bedside outcomes in pediatrics. Let's think about an example. Imagine a 12-year-old girl comes into the emergency department for an obvious arm deformity after falling off the monkey bars. Ugh, monkey bars, am I right? She sits stoic, scared, and in severe pain on the stretcher. Goyle et al. in 2020 found that children from racial or ethnic minorities were more likely to receive non-opioid analgesics for fractures in the emergency department. But an opioid would provide more ideal pain relief from that kind of trauma. Why does this kind of difference in care occur? Well, several factors are at play. Patients may underreport pain due to intimidation, or there may be culturally held beliefs that pain should not be expressed. 
both of which go unaddressed by providers who misinterpret this as a lack of pain. And children from racial and ethnic minority groups are more likely to use the emergency department for non-urgent care, which leads to differential care provided, despite the severity of presenting with a fracture with deformity. And stressful situations can make provider bias worse because your brain is on overdrive with multiple competing demands for its attention, which can lead to decision fatigue. So if you knew from your implicit association test that you showed a preference for light skin color over dark skin color, you could pause and consider how to make a more equitable care plan. Like instead of assuming that the calm Hispanic girl with an obvious arm deformity isn't in pain because she isn't screaming or writhing around on the stretcher and that therefore she doesn't need an opioid medication to manage her pain, you instead take the knowledge of the pathophysiology that fractures with deformities are very painful and you go ahead and write for a narcotic pain medication, IV or intranasal, your choice based on your expert knowledge and consultation with orthopedics. This is an example of where we didn't stop the implicit bias because it's too difficult to retrain the unconscious thinking of individuals. But you as an individual clinician took steps to prevent harm that comes from this bias. So where do we go from here? I think the most promising future lies in implicit bias recognition and management. Chances are that your graduate school curriculum had some kind of basic foundational teaching principles on diversity and inclusion, health equity, groups that have been marginalized, and common health disparities. But these teachings are not consistent across schools, and you also learned at the bedside next to preceptors, who undoubtedly varied significantly in their approach to these groups in real life, leaving you with varying levels of understanding of how to approach these concepts or maybe even they demonstrated implicit bias themselves. Gonzalez et al. in 2021 have a 12-step guide for educators to teach implicit bias recognition and management. These principles are grounded in a theoretical framework and scientific research, rather than opinion, and they can be implemented in any organization or institution to aid in recognition and mitigation of implicit bias. They tell us that first, we need a safe but brave learning environment where we're free to battle complex topics without fear of retribution or stigma. Next, you need exercises that embrace discomfort while facilitating critical reflection on the dynamic relationship between bias and its influences. But all of this is useless unless you build skills to combat internal bias. And you can do this through role play in class or with standardized patients. As we improve our bias identification and communication skills, we tap into an awareness and mitigation tools that can accompany the learner throughout their professional career. These actions are important because implicit bias not only affects our patients, but the diversity and inclusion of our workforce. Representation matters. Children of color make up a majority of our patients, but only 21% of the pediatric nursing certified workforce is represented by people of color. So when students and trainees experience the same discrimination or disparities during their education in the form of implicit bias, they're held back from the workforce that so desperately needs to reflect the diversity of the children they serve. Rafael Noyeku in 2020 described the paucity of literature surrounding solutions to this problem, 
but they list some promising areas of future research surrounding stereotype alteration and partnership creation. One option is stereotype replacement, where you recognize a preconceived impression about a group, reflect on why you had this belief, and then you can consider how to avoid these judgments in the first place. Another technique is counter-stereotype imaging. This is another powerful tool that you can quickly use to counteract the impact of preconceived notions. It's simple. You beat back a stereotype by imagining the opposite. So instead of stereotyping that a Latina person can only do manual labor type jobs for a living, you quickly drum up images of Latina people that have important jobs that impact our culture and society. Like Lin-Manuel Miranda, whose songs from Hamilton and Encanto are a daily chorus in my home. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's the youngest woman to ever be elected to Congress. Jose Andreas, whose culinary creations I have been lucky enough to enjoy in Washington, D.C. Or another D.C. local, Sonia Sotomayor, Supreme Court Justice of the United States. The Rafael Oyeku article leaves us with this thought, quote, to truly address implicit bias in pediatrics, we must approach solutions with an understanding that is not about how individuals feel, but how they process information, which can impact clinical decision-making and consequently health outcomes, end quote. We'll say that in a different way. Maybe the way we think will always be burdened with some implicit bias, but we can stop the actions that lead to harm by systematically intervening in the way we respond to our thoughts. Now let's talk about that post-survey. Simply go to thepedsnp.com, the link is in the show notes, and click the button that says, take the health equity survey on the homepage. The link will take you to a one minute survey about the episode you just listened to. Once you submit the anonymous voluntary survey, you'll get a link to the page where you can enter your email to win a $15 Amazon gift card. I won't share your email and it's not for marketing purposes. It's just to pick a winner for the raffle. Whether you enter the raffle or not, thank you for completing the survey and sharing your feedback. Your participation is very important. So please take a moment to complete the survey, then share with a friend, your colleagues, your classmates. I'd like to thank the diversity, equity, and inclusion experts who generously volunteered their time to serve as consultants and editors for the content in this episode, which was generously supported with funding from North Carolina NAPNAP's Rashida Monroe Health Equity Grant. Follow me on Instagram at the PZNP podcast. Email me at the PZNP at gmail.com. You can complete the survey, see show notes and references at www.thepedsnp.com. Remember that this isn't just a podcast. Implicit bias can still affect your patients if you stay unaware. I'm Becky Carson. Take care.